Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. Thank you so much for joining us. As we come your way every Sunday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Monday mornings at 1 a.m. streaming live at richarddugan.com. The broadcast podcasts are both on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, as well as the homepage and radio shows page of richarddugan.com. We link to our guests' website. We encourage you to go there. And if you would like to help us out financially with the work that we are doing, we would gratefully appreciate that. We have a PayPal and Patreon account so that you can support us in that regard. And we thank you so much if you have done so. If not, and you're going to, we thank you, thank you, thank you. It's greatly appreciated for the uh, the work that we are trying to do to change the world, to make this a better place for everyone. And as I've said before, we don't have all the answers. We're getting a hold of these guests and having them come on the program to give us ideas. And our guest today is no different. She is the author of a very unique book that I think that you are going to uh, truly enjoy. And I hope that you will pick up a copy of the book. The title of the book is it's kind of a long one, but I think you'll uh, figure it out. How to Drag a Body and Other uh, Other Safety Tips You Hope to Never Need. They are survival tactics for hacking Hurricanes and hazards life might throw at you. And my guest is the author Judith Metloff, and it's judithmetloff.com. That's the website you can go to to find out more. Of course, her book is also available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and many other locations. And Judith Metloff is J U D I T H M A T L O F F dot com. So we hope that you will. Uh, join us for that, and we're going to jump right into our uh, conversation here with Judith. Uh, first of all, thanks so much for joining us on the program. And my first question is, tell me a little bit about uh, what drove you to pursue uh, uh, being a war correspondent. I'm assuming that there was a certain uh, aspect of college where you, be, you, know, you were studying to be a journalist, and you went to work for a particular outlet, a news organization, and they sent you here, there, and everywhere. Uh, how did how did you end up being a war correspondent? Well, I actually didn't study journalism in college. My college, Harvard, didn't have a um, a journalism program, but they did have a newspaper, which I wrote for, per, you know, sporadically. Um, I was very interested in international politics, particularly Latin America. Uh, Mexico was the area I was most interested in. And so when I graduated from college, I had a Fulbright fellowship to do some academic research in Mexico. And then, you know, this was the early 80s. So Central America was blowing up. There was the economic crisis in Mexico. And I began to think, you know, current history is more interesting than old history. And I'm living through it. So when the Fulbright ended, I began writing for a Mexican newspaper and one thing led to another. But my, my aim had never been to cover wars. I was interested in politics. I was interested in people. I was interested in society. I was interested in everything but having to be exposed to violence. But when you're a foreign correspondent and you're working in places like Latin America and Africa and the former Soviet Union, at some point, you're going to be working in a country where there is war and mayhem and disasters and tragedy. And you just have to cover it. It's part of your job. And so that's how it happened. I know that if it leads, it bleeds is the general theme uh, that drives many stories, even to this day. 
Uh, but I am grateful that they are starting to run some positive stories, some uplifting stories that are showing how people around the world, as well as in the United States, are actually helping one another, which is, you know, I tell you what, that that <laughs> helps to take the edge off just a little bit. But I find it interesting. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but I find it very interesting that there's been very little news about conflicts around the world lately because everything's yeah. everything's COVID this and Corona that. Yeah, it's our our global pandemic, which is just dominating the news. Yeah, you're right. It's it's like Syria. What happened to Syria? <laughs> Sudan. Yeah, I read something about Sudan about four months ago. Yeah, and it it's it's sad, but you know the the thing is about the pandemic is it really is all consuming. I mean, it's affecting billions of people all over the world, and it really is a life and death story. I mean, everything is involved: our mental health, our livelihood, our families, our our physical health. I mean, everything is being impacted by it. And, you know, I, I think it's inevitable that that does become the one singular story. And, it, and it's true. If you look at news coverage around the world, outside of America, it's the same thing. It's just COVID, 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 COVID. Yeah. So uh, in terms of where you are today, and now you're teaching people how to prepare for the inevitable, whatever that happens to be, um, uh, you know, because I often watch uh, the news stories, especially from Sky News out of the UK. I I enjoy watching it because I get a different perspective of what's going on. Although I've talked with some people in the UK about their former prime minister, Boris. Boris is British. I, I maybe it is. I don't know. Uh, Boris uh, Yel, um, Yeltsin or Johnson. Yeltsin, Johnson. Yeah, he's still the prime minister. Is he still? Former. I thought he had yeah, uh, yeah. been. OK, no, no, he's still. I'll be yeah. darned. Well, yeah. uh, and I thought, oh, they cloned Trump, you know, because uh, he's a pretty wacky kind of guy, too. I mean, he's kind of flamboyant and outspoken and blah, blah, blah. But uh, I, I'm wondering, too, you know, we don't hear much about climate change. We don't hear much about some of the other things that have been going on. Uh, and then I just heard today, as of this program that you and I are doing, there's another virus in China. Oh, yeah. Another the version of the swine flu. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> Oh, well, and I, I think the one thing which does concern me is um, coverage of natural disasters because um, the National Weather Service predicts a particularly severe hurricane season this summer. We had some pretty bad uh, wildfires in Arizona and parts of California just, what was it, two weeks ago. So, you know, these natural disasters are still going to happen this summer. And one thing concerns me, getting back to the topic of preparation is that it will be all the more harder for emergency response to deal with a pandemic and a natural disaster at the same time. And I think we as citizens, those of us that live in areas which are prone to whether it be fight, you know, wildfires or volcanoes or whatever, we need to be doubly vigilant and prepared this summer because we're really going to be left more to our own devices than we ever had been before. And there's really no place you can run and hide from all of this because I've even thought about, okay, well, where can my wife and I go where we can just relax, kick back, and I can I can drink my Budweiser and she can have her glass of, of Merlot or Chardonnay and, and we can have our travel trailer and our animals around us and just it'll be okay and life is good and the nature is running around the deer and everything. There's no place you can go on the planet 
where there isn't because everywhere you go, there's you you deal with whatever the natural surroundings are. That's just the way it is. Um, right. And in my case, when I was living in Arizona in Phoenix, it was it was the heat. I mean, yeah. that was the big thing in the summer, and of course, it lasted longer and longer the longer I lived there. I was there 46 years. It was 45 summers too many. Uh, and uh, finally got out, and I thought, oh, great, moving to Santa Barbara. That should be great because we used to travel here, and it was beautiful, and it was green in the in the late 90s, early 2000s. And then we moved here, and we went into the drought, and, of course, we're, the wildfires and all that stuff. So it's, yeah, it's it's going to be a challenge. But as you say, we are going to have to, as citizens, become not only more self-reliant, but we are also going to have to become, I think the right word is, more interdependent. And that speaks of community, does it not? Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely critical. I think if you can take care of yourself, obviously, you want to make sure that you and your family are safe, but then think about your neighbors. Think about the elderly person across the street who may not have the luxury of family nearby. I think, no, you're absolutely right. And, you know, we're living through a, 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 a health emergency at the moment, and it's absolutely critical that we look after people who don't have the resources that we may have. And, um, you know, I live in New York City, which was for quite a while the world epicenter of the coronavirus. And it was very inspiring because people, at least in my orbit, really looked after each other and really made a point of looking after their vulnerable neighbors and whatnot. And, you know, I saw some of the best of humanity coming out. But, um, you know, we have to keep it up, folks. <laughs> you know, we're in this for a long haul and it's tiring, but we got to keep it up. We got to look after ourselves and other people. And we've even heard this word used many, 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 many times in different areas uh, to what you're saying. We can sustain this. We can. It is possible, but we have to be willing to do it. Uh, you know, and it, that means that we have to adapt to our circumstances since there's nothing we can do about the circumstances, we have to adapt in order to sustain it. Uh, I know that you folks there in New York, and, and you folks were probably the first to start doing this. I don't know if this is true or not. Nonetheless, you were you do this every night at 7 o'clock, and I would sit there watching the TV, and I'm going, now, that is the kind of New York attitude that I know. Okay, it's not. Yeah, you don't belong here. Get the heck out of here. You know, you don't belong in this city. You know, you're a you're a country bumpkin. Take a hike. No, that attitude of you're a New Yorker and you're a first responder, whether it was 9-11 or whether it's now or whatever the case might be. And we're here for you. Even if we can't get close to you, applause to you. Cheers to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And you guys do that every night at seven o'clock. What's that yeah, like for you? It was I would be moved to tears sometimes because, you know, the, the days could be very long. And, you know, we, we we in my family, we took the lockdown very seriously. We barely left the house for you know weeks on end. 
but you could lean out of your window you could stand on your doorstep and you would see your neighbors and you'd see people you'd never met before and everybody was cheering and there was a sense of yeah folks we're in this we're going to get over it and yeah we're you know we're tough new york strong that's the and it was it was very inspiring um and it was and it happened all over the city i uh, you know it's 7 o'clock wow. sharp it um in my neighborhood it stopped pretty much i think june 1st when we went into stage 2 phase 2 which mm-hmm. is when they started to open things up folks were like okay we can't live in eternal crisis let's life isn't normal but let's move on to the 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 next stage but i swear every time you see somebody in a nurse's outfit you know they just get applause on the street i mean it's very it's very moving and you know we're a giant city we're more than 8 million people but you know it really was a very intense moment and i was in new york after 911 and it was the same thing you know people would line up on the highway on the streets to cheer the any firemen and any policemen they saw going by and you know people volunteered to dig the bodies out of the rubble i mean you know new york is like that but i think i think we're not unusual i think there's communities all over america all over the world like this i think that's just what people do when there's a crisis well i'll tell you um i know that other communities around the country uh have their own way of supporting their their first responders uh if it's the way that new york did it fine if it's any other way fine i mean you know because it's these people who depending upon the we'll call it the challenge or the crisis it's these people who literally do they put their lives on the line uh i mean my god i don't know that i could do that especially considering uh, i mean you, you we've heard the stories of of uh first responders there in the medical community they don't want to go home not because they're so dedicated to what they're doing but because they're afraid that they may have contracted it and they don't want to take it back to their family and you know there are some people yeah. who haven't seen their family for days weeks maybe even months because of that yeah you know and this harkens back to your earlier question which is why would one put one's self in harm's way to cover violence as yeah. a journalist I I think it's a sense of duty to your society um to your wider community it's a sense of this is my mission I'm committed to my work and you make sacrifices for other people I mean there's certain professions that do that journalism being one of them yeah. and you know I think you know I see I see journalism as being a public service um you you know you're doing this for a greater good Yeah Well there's one thing There is uh, one thing uh, Yeah, I mean I think certain professions really draw people who have that. One thing that uh, I find interesting about your book cover we didn't mention as one of the crises. Uh you've got on the on the cover of your book uh it looks like a woman. It could be a guy with long hair standing there with a headset on, holding a cup of something steaming, could be coffee. And there's basically a meteor. A meteor coming. Now, If we knew that there was a meteor or a comet headed for Earth, the first person that I would be calling would be Bruce Willis. I said, "Bruce, get the group together, let's launch the shuttle and you guys go take care of this." Cuz they've done it in so many movies. Well, that's not going to happen, I know. Uh because basically, it's going to be over. That's that's it. It's a, and and all I know, all I can tell you Judith is I want to be at ground zero. Okay? I do not want to be a survivor <laughs> because uh it will be horrific. Um you know, I understand about adapting and everything, but you know, I can only take so much. We can only take so much, Judith. But well, um 
Yeah, I actually want to harken back to the cover. It's sure. actually a woman wearing a um, a respirator. Oh, mask. it's a respirator. Okay. And if you look really closely, this is like such a freaky thing. If you look at it, it's a meteor, but the meteor looks like a corona. <laughs> and the bizarre thing is the illustrator, she's a cartoonist for the New Yorker magazine. She drew this cover more than, well, it, it, it was last November uh-huh. or October. So it was almost like she has powers of prophecy. Oh, Lord. Um, when was this drawn? It was November. Oh, my. Oh, that's right. Oh, my. It's freaky. And that's basically <laughs> when the very, very first reports came out of Wuhan, China. Right. But she was not, not influenced privy to, by that. Right. In the exactly. Least. Wow. And, um, you know, we actually had a, a series of several photo, uh, several drawings that we could choose. But, you know, the, the publisher really felt there was something very powerful about it, but it's so prophetic. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. So she's starting her own cult now? No. <laughs> Being the prophet thereof? No, it's a great picture. And I, I have to tell you that that there are a lot of people that are walking around today and some of them are just scared out of their minds to the point where they're actually endangering themselves and other people. Just by moving around, and I'm not even talking, they may have the mask on, but they're, they're not thinking rationally and logically. They're getting in their cars. They might as well have, they might as well be three sheets to the wind because they're not focused on the here and the now because they're so scared about the possibility of contracting this virus, of passing it on to others, of dying from it. There are people who are afraid they are literally afraid. They don't have any problem right now, but they're afraid of dying. And right. And, and I think, again, this gets back to the theme of the book mm-hmm. um, and my main message, which yes. is if you can mentally go there and contemplate what your worst case scenario is and then come up with a plan to mitigate the eventuality of that, you're taking action. So you're not just... Um, trapped in this amorphous anxiety, you're actually taking a course of action to address that anxiety. And it's very empowering and it gives you a wonderful sense of control. And I I can't stress enough that, uh, you know, and this is tried and true, many, many professions will do this. You know, firemen will rehearse Mm -hmm. putting out a fire. Soldiers do it. Journalists do it. Medics do it. Uh, business schools do it with the worst case scenario. If you can rehearse and contemplate and come up with a plan for what scares you the most, you will feel more in control and you will feel more anxiety. And I think it, it's a tool that can really, really help people right now as we're navigating this very, very disturbing moment in history, which is we don't know how this virus is going to play out in terms of our society. But if you come up with a personal plan for you and your family for how you're going to deal with it, it could be something as simple as if you're scared of dying and you're scared of leaving your kids, draw up a will, get your will updated. It could be something as simple as if you live in an area where there are natural disasters like wildfires and you may need to evacuate, pack that go-to bag now, Mm. get ready for the evacuation. And just thinking about it, getting your house ready 
in, you know, in terms of cutting out the brush or, you know, putting on a new roof, you know, whatever it takes to get ready for that thing that scares you, you're going to feel more in control. Yeah. I can, I can attest to that advice because the first wildfire I saw was called the Perkins fire in June of 2006 and it was miles and miles away, but I had no points of reference and it freaked me out. And as the years have gone by and one fire after another and we faced it and we then they put it down, we faced it and put it down. We've been evacuated only one time in 14 fires, once in 14 wow. fires. And I have to say that when we were evacuated, initially there was that adrenaline rush. Got hurry, 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 hurry. We got the animals. We got to pack up. And we're starting to drive down the hill into Santa Barbara away from the fire. And I started to calm down and I started looking for a hotel where we could stay. And I started to feel this exhilaration and excitement of this this adventure. Um, and and it was like a, a, you know, a staycation. We stayed at hotels we probably would never stay at living here. Right. And then we wound up at a friend's house uh, who offered to put us up for a few days. And we were only there for a couple of days, but we were grateful for the support. Uh, and, and so that's kind of how I looked at it. I mean, I still had to go to work every day. My wife still had to go to work every day. Um, actually, there's something tells me that she actually took some time off um, because we had our dog with us. And so we couldn't just leave the dog in the hotel room. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's the process that I have been through. And I would like for you to share with us, maybe that is step one. Uh, the first thing that we're going to experience, most likely, if we've never been through it before, and obviously this pandemic is one of those things that many people, well, most people have never been through before, uh, unless you're over 100 years old. Uh, what is, from your perspective, what's the first best tip you can offer to someone um, who is, who is uh, not sure where to start? In terms of dealing with the current pandemic, or I would say, wave, all right, let's go ahead or... and put let's go ahead and put a specific on it and say let's let's say they really haven't yet. They're, they've still been in their emotions since March, you know, and freaking out uh, and, and, and just wondering, you know, how am I going to survive and if, am I, am I going to die and, and how am I going to pay for this and that and the other thing and on and on and on and on. Uh, how, how would you, shall we say, talk them off the ledge? And say, okay, let's let's turn that energy around. Right. Well, you know, what trauma psychologists and, and disaster psychologists say, the, the one thing that helps people get through emergencies and crises like these, the best is social support and a social network. So my first advice to somebody would be think about who you can turn to for emotional comfort and make sure that you have sustained contact with those people. If uh, somebody is making you feel more anxious and more upset about your situation, you probably wanna like, you know, have a little vacation from that person right now. So first of all, you wanna develop your social network um, in terms of um, your support network and, and make sure that you're checking in regularly with other people and, Sometimes another thing which really helps is, for instance, if, if you are really, really scared that um, you might get sick and you might end up in hospital, imagine what that would look like. Maybe what you should do now is set up telemedicine with your doctor and, and identify which hospital you would go to 
um, maybe already think about talking with your family about what that would look like if you were there alone and then putting into place anything that would give you more comfort if you were in the hospital. That could give you, you know, that's just one example of one thing. Um, again, you know, getting back to the whole natural disaster thing, I think a lot of people are very, very worried about how they're going to handle that if indeed there is a wildfire or there is a hurricane. And what I would suggest is find out now from your authorities where you would evacuate to if you needed to evacuate. Because the thing is, a lot with social distancing, a lot of the places that used to serve as evacuation centers, like stadiums or schools, may not be the same places now. Set up your emergency contacts so that in case you do have to flee or you are um, unsettled for a period of time, you know who to contact. You've got all your contacts just in one place. And I would pack a little go-to bag that you have ready that you can just take, whether it be to the hospital or in case you need to leave your home, just have all that in place and ready. The other thing I would recommend for people is a lot of people here in New York, and I understand in other parts of the country, were caught out when the pandemic happened and they went to their grocery stores and they couldn't get wipes and they couldn't get gloves and they couldn't get masks. And, and they sometimes couldn't get non-perishable food that could serve as staples during a long period of time. So I would say to people who've already run down those supplies, build up the supplies again, get your inventory up for let's say a month and um, just have that ready because if indeed there is another lockdown suddenly and these things happen suddenly, uh, there won't be, and there is a run on the stores, you already have all the supplies that you need at home. So that yeah. would be another thing I would recommend. Well, and, and that's the other aspect of it, too, that is we have no control over, and that's the way people are going to respond. Uh, and obviously, when we did the first lockdown, people, in my opinion, the majority of people responded very poorly. Uh, they became very greedy. I, I understand they were afraid. I get that. I still can't figure out why <laughs> it led to a run on toilet paper, because this was a respiratory disease, not gastrointestinal. Um, but, uh, uh, and, and of course my wife and I, we had just been to the grocery store and we had bought whatever we bought, but it was because it was normally what we did. It was similar to, um, uh, January 31st of, uh, 1999. And I was, and it was a Friday and I went to the gas station like I always did on Fridays to fill up my tank. And at that time I was driving a little Chevy Metro, which got upwards of 55 miles to the gallon. So I pull in there, pull up to fill up the tank, and and I do so. I go inside to pay, and this gal comes racing in, and she is just absolutely out of her mind. I gotta hurry and fill up the tank because blah 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 blah. And I said, "Ma'am, hold on a second. I work for a local news and information station, and we have been monitoring the transition from 2019 uh, uh, 1999 to the year 2000. We've been monitoring it all morning long, all the way from Australia as it moves around the planet." Nothing is happening. Nothing is happening. Everything is okay. Nothing is shut down. It was a hoax that was perpetrated by people who figured we'll, we'll, we'll tap into the fears of the people thinking that because computers wouldn't roll over to 20, uh, 2000. And as a matter of fact, I heard a story about a woman in the 1950s who was actually asked the question. What's going to happen in 1999, December 31st at midnight? 
And she said, nothing. The computers will just roll over to 2000. It's not a big deal. Um, so that's the other thing, too, is, is, is information. You just alluded to that, too. However, we've got ourselves a small problem. Who do we listen to now? Because right. pretty much every source of information that you can think of has been blasted by one segment of our society or another, by one institution or another. Uh, and you can use whatever terms you want to use to describe it. Uh, and it's just amazing to me. It's like, this is why we here at Tell Me Your Story, Judith, have been promoting 2020, the year of perfect vision. We encourage you people to go within. From my perspective, that's where you're going to get the information that you need. But if you're going to search on the outside, in the outside world, on the Internet or what have you, where do we go for accurate information to help us? You know, we're not looking for an agenda here. We're looking for help. Right. Well, in the case of the pandemic, without a doubt, it's the CDC, it's Dr. Fauci, it's, it's, you want fact-based scientific data. This is a disease. And if scientists are saying that it makes sense to wear masks and wash your hands, look to those sources. And again, I, I mean, it's the same thing with climate change. I look at the science, look at facts. Facts are indisputable. Science is indisputable. And that's where I would go for this information right now. There are people who are min trying to manipulate the situation for political gain or personal gain or whatever, but the science is the science. And this is a disease. And science determines information about diseases. So that's where I would go. Continue to listen to the CDC. That really is the best source we have at the moment. Now, information is changing. Uh, you know, we're learning, this is a new disease, and mm -hmm. we're learning new things every week, every month. So be adaptable in terms of how you accept the information, but listen to the most authoritative sources, which are science. Well, I will tell you also that um, what I find so interesting is that people will repeat information they've heard from a given source and a lot of times it's like really that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever and the next thing i would put to them especially with the covid virus corona coronavirus covid19 um uh, before before i trust the information that you're giving me may i see your license to practice epidemiology <laughs> now this is true of journalists uh government officials it's like everybody has suddenly become an expert. And I sure as heck am not any expert. But what I do know is that I have been told to do three things. Wash my hands for 20 seconds every so often and maybe use hand sanitizer in between. Wear a mask when I'm outside amongst people and stay six feet apart or social distance. And I have come up with a wonderful uh, f slogan. Wash up, mask up, step back. Wash up, max, mask up, step back. And that's and it's like, that's all I need. I don't need anything else. Uh, I'm good until some more authoritative information comes through. Uh, is the real problem here, and we're still talking about information, although I'm using the coronavirus as the example. We know so little about this virus. 
that's part of the problem, isn't it? It's, there's so little information about it, about what it is, what it can do. Uh, if it's mutated, they say it has uh, 20 or 30 times already. I, I don't know if that's true or not. So I'm not an authority, authoritative uh, a source here. But that seems to be the big issue right now. And it seems to be the big issue with a lot of subjects that have really driven a wedge between peoples in this country, let alone around the world, that um, we just don't know. And right. But we but we do know some things about the sure. disease. We yeah. know it's highly contagious. We know that it has a certain effect on very young children. We know that it affects men more than women. We know that it affects people with pre-existing uh, medical conditions like diabetes, hypertension. Um, we know that it can cause strokes in people. So we, our body of knowledge is increasing. And the people who are in a position to increase this body of knowledge who we should be listening to are scientists. And we do know how coronaviruses work. Each one is different, but there was SARS, there was MERS, and they do follow a certain pattern. So we do know that. Mm -hmm. And we're learning more each week. And I think, you know, I can't stress enough, just listen to the CDC, look at reliable sources, which are scientific studies. Yeah. Um, their body of knowledge is increasing. For instance, <clears throat> we now know that... Um, it's you're more likely to get it if you're indoors in an area where there's poor ventilation than if you're outdoors. So we've learned that already. We've learned that it's more the chance of infection is more likely to be airborne rather than touching surfaces. We've learned that it doesn't live for very long on cloth or paper. So, you know, we are learning things all the time. And that's why it's very, very important to go to those sources of information, i.e. the CDC. Yeah. And, you know, stay abreast of the changes of the information. But, you know, we do know a fair amount about the disease now. We know a lot more than we did in January. And our, our body of knowledge will increase with time. But it's our responsibility to be prepared yeah. and to um, get access to that information so we can make the best decisions. Yeah. Um, as a journalist, <clears throat> did you, in the years that you were covering not just these th th these uh, wars during uh, your period abroad and so forth, I'm sure you covered other stories as well that were less uh, <clears throat> less dangerous for you especially. Um, did you ever get any pushback uh, as to the information that you were putting into your stories uh, because uh, of of potential, uh, damaging, uh, potentially damaging relations. Uh, now, you said we had no relations, for example, at the time you were there with Uganda. So no, I don't know that Angola. You, Angola, Angola, I'm sorry, Angola. Um, but it's like, um, it seems as though in the institutions that are out there seem to be afraid of revealing the truth about something. There's always something that they hold back from us, and we don't find out about it until years later. Um, did you ever run into anything like that uh, in terms oh, yeah. of your reporting? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's why it's dangerous to be a journalist, because people want to silence you. Yeah, I've been threatened with uh, lawsuits, none of which uh, came to anything because my evidence was airtight. Um, but, you know, if you work for a quality news organization, 
you will need to source your information to more than one person and you will have to show your editors that your information is airtight. You can't just report on a rumor. You need to actually show that your source is reliable and you need to double check it with more than one person. Um, but yeah, you're constantly, people are constantly pushing back at you. They're, they're constantly trying to shut you up. They're constantly trying to prevent you from reporting stuff. And that's why we do safety training in journalism, because people get chopped up at uh, the Saudi embassy in, in Turkey, <laughs> at the Saudi consulate. You know, people get beheaded like Jim Foley was here, um, you know, the American journalist like he was by ISIS. I mean, we're constantly being threatened either verbally or legally or physically. Um, it's part of what we do that we have to nonetheless continue and persevere. But yeah, I mean, if you're gonna be a journalist, you shouldn't just be publishing opinions, you should be publishing evidence that supports what you're writing. Well, I am not a journalist, uh, yet I do tend to follow some of these stories. And I know too, that as a, in, in terms of the general public, uh, they want to they wanna know now and they want to know everything. Uh, case in point, whenever there's a wildfire, if somebody sees a puff of smoke on the hillside out, outside here, uh, they want to know everything right now. And the first responders haven't even gotten there yet. Right. <laughs> and this right. is one of the problems that we have. We also have people who are not journalists. They're not reporters. They're not trained in observation and in terms of de de uh, disseminating correct information. Uh, it hasn't been vetted. And yet they'll go on to the various social media sites uh, here locally. There's a, a site for news called Ed Hat. Uh, but it's it's, I think, somewhat uh, a regu not regulated, but um, uh, it's uh, I don't want to say controlled either, but they monitor monitored. It's monitored uh, by the powers that be there to make sure that their information is accurate and people aren't just posting stuff to post stuff, uh, because sometimes some information will get out that will absolutely change a particular scenario that will freak people out, you know? Yeah. And I again, you know, getting back to the theme of prevention and yeah. preparation. Yeah. If, if, again, if you are living in an area which is prone to these natural disasters and weather trends and whatnot, um, what I would recommend to everybody is that they get an NOAA radio. It's a hand cranked yeah. battery powered radio where you will get regular emergency alerts from the authorities. Exactly. And that's really want, where you want to go. So if you see that puff of smoke, don't go on Facebook, yeah. tune up your radio. Um, and also, you know, FEMA puts out alerts. If, if there is an ongoing situation, they will put out alerts. So I would say that every citizen should know right now which authorities they should be turning to to get that information in case something like that happens. Just get find out now what radio station you should be tuning into. Get one of these emergency radios and make that your source of information. And on those radio um, alerts, you'll be told whether or not you should evacuate. And you really should listen to the authorities on that. If they say, get out of Dodge, get out of Dodge. But again, you want to go to the most reliable source of information. So with COVID, it would be the CDC. When it comes to a natural disaster or a weather situation, it would be the NOAA. Yeah. 
Well, now you have put together information in this wonderful little book, which is which is great for people to get a hold of at judithmetloff.com. How to drag a body and other <clears throat> safety tips you hope to never need. Survival tricks for uh, hacking hurricanes and hazards life might throw at you. And you you've also put together uh, an area uh, talking as a uh, a safety consultant. And you're providing practical proven strategies for women that uh, give them the power and resources to take on almost any crisis, disaster or challenge from hurricanes to harassment and beyond. You know, that's that's a, 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 a there's a challenge. Uh, I don't want to necessarily say disaster, although it could be disaster us um, that most people wouldn't put in this category being harassed. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting being a woman. <laughs> because we're more likely to be harassed online. We're more likely to be raped. We're more likely to die in a hurricane or a natural disaster. We are really very, very vulnerable to every type of danger that there is. And we're more, more vulnerable than men for a variety of reasons. But, you know, what, what I have in the book, I have, first of all, I explain at the beginning of how you should um, do a risk assessment for whatever danger you're, you're concerned about or whatever you're anxious about. Then I talk about travel safety. You want to think about as you're beginning to travel during this pandemic. Um, I have a whole section on harassment and rape, which I think pretty much every woman faces. I mean, every six seconds, a woman is sexually assaulted in America. So it's, mm. it may not be something that people talk about that openly, but it's certainly something that women experience. One in four uh, college students who are female will probably be sexually assaulted at some point during their time at college. I mean, it's, it's a horrifying number. So it's, it's another thing I have in the book of what steps women can take to try to prevent assault and harassment. And if they are experiencing it, how they, you know, can best deal with it. I deal with online safety because, um, you know, there is a lot of hacking into our financial data. If you look at what happened with Equifax a couple of years ago. So I talk about how to secure your, your mobile communications and your computer uh, data so that you aren't hacked into. I talk about riots and demonstrations. That's certainly been a big issue for people in recent weeks with the Black Lives Movement protests of how do you stay safe at a protest? How do you avoid oh, wow. being arrested? How do you avoid being hurt? Yeah, I, um, you know, that's another thing, natural disasters. I talk a lot about emotional resilience, something that we've talked about a little bit here. But, you know, any type of stress you're under, you, you really need to build up your resistance emotionally, psychologically to get through it. So those are, oh, and I also talk about how to equip a shelter and how to make the most of a shelter in a bunker. <laughs> uh, that's a good, that's a, something we can talk about. I want to remind our listeners that uh, we are talking with Judith Metloff, judithmetloff.com. That's J-U-D-I-T-H-M-A-T-L-O-F-F.com. And the book is entitled How to Drag a Body and Other Safety Tips You Hope to Never Need Survival Tra Tricks for Hacking Hurricanes and Hazardous Life uh, hazards that life might throw you at you. Uh, one of the things that my wife and I have been doing, and <clears throat> it's funny, when I purchased uh, an external blackwater tank for our travel trailer, it came to the radio station, uh, and uh, one of the people who comes in on occasion to broadcast from our location, he saw the package, and the first thing he said, the first thing that came out of his mouth was, I always knew you were a prepper. <laughs> prepper? 
That has nothing to do with prepper. <laughs> it has to do with the fact that I need to drain the Blackwater tank on my trailer and take it down to the local place here in Santa Barbara where I can offload it because uh, I don't want to take the whole trailer down there. Uh, you know, prepper, you know, and yet at the same time, yes, there is a certain element of wanting to be prepared. Uh, and I think that we're duly prepared. We're going to be dragging, so to speak, or pulling our uh, lodging with us when, if and when we have to bug out due to whatever. Uh, but uh, again, then you're subject to uh, road conditions and hopefully conditions are suitable for us to move from place to place without too much of a problem. Uh, what are some oh, of the... Yeah. Yeah, I, I wanted to add one more thing. Sure. One mm -hmm. chapter in the book, which I think is really critical to everybody, is emergency first aid. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, if you come upon the scene of a traffic accident, you'll probably be there before the emergency responders, and you could actually save a life. And when you look at the Boston Marathon bombing a mm -hmm. few years back, as well as the mass shooting that happened in Las Vegas, yeah. bystanders who had emergency first aid skills were on the scene before the emergency responders and they were able to save lives. Every person who they tied a tourniquet on, who's bleeding they staunched, lived. Mm. And I really think all of us need to have those skills. You could just be hiking. For instance, I was hiking in, in Arizona last summer and somebody collapsed from uh, heat exhaustion and, you know, you want to be able to help people around you cope with something like that. So I, I really do urge every American citizen to get emergency first aid skills and training, but not only that, um, get it refreshed every year because you need muscle memory for it and it yeah. will expire within about that me muscle memory will fade after about six months yeah. to a year. But I think it's really, really critical. And particularly now with this pandemic, yeah. um, the emergency responders may not be able to get to, let's say somebody's going into a cardiac ar arrest. They may not be able to get to you or to the person you're trying to help quickly because they're so overwhelmed by COVID. Yeah. And so you need those skills to help it's it, to help the people around you. It's a um it's part of being a in in a community, I yeah. think. So it's something that I really, really want to stress to people that it's it's part of our duty, I think, as citizens to yeah. know how to administer first aid. And I think the other part of it too is for me, is making sure that you have of uh, a, a fairly substantial first aid kit. Now, <clears throat> when we got the truck, when we did purchase the uh, the F one fifty Ford F one fifty that now pulls the travel trailer, um, I went online and I bought a couple of first aid kits that are in the pockets of the truck. You know, and I uh, I remember showing them to my wife, and she was actually very grateful that I had done that because the emergency or the uh, first aid kit that we have is in one of those metal containers, you know, which is great. Um, but we still need to, of course, get one and put that into the trailer. Uh, I would rather have more emergency first aid kits than not enough. Uh, by the same token, there are other things that you can use. You could have buy a box of the rubber gloves, stick them in somewhere, uh, preferably where they're not going to be damaged by the heat quickly because that's that's something that deteriorates certain materials rather fast. Masks, especially during this pandemic, that's another thing. St you know, and again, we're not talking about filling your garage with <laughs> whatever it is that <laughs> we're talking about here. We're talking about in moderation here uh, in terms of the number of people you think that you might uh, have with you, but 
then again, it would be there if you came across someone that was hurting. And we, yep. we want to develop that muscle, that particular muscle in particular, because we're still seeing a lot of videos of pretty selfish individuals out there who, because they're so stuck in their emotions, okay, and I'm going to put it that way rather than saying they're a bunch of idiots, because they're not. They're just they're just scared and they don't know what to do, just like I was in 2006 when I saw that little puff of smoke. Um, and so I think the first thing we need to learn how to do is to calm people down. Uh, absolutely. No, absolutely. The other thing I want to stress, which I think everybody should know how to do, is how to respond to um, people who are ODing on opioids. And it's something that we do in our training. We The training courses that I do, we have a first aid component and we've recently in recent years introduced the opioids because there is a very easy way that you can treat somebody who's ODing. It's something that you can buy over the counter in most states and you just spray it up somebody's nose. And I carry that around with me with, with a pair. I always walk around with a pair of gloves anyway before COVID mm-hmm. in case I serve somebody who needed medical attention. Right. But again, so many people... <coughs> Excuse me. So many people are dying of, of overdoses because the people around them don't know how to treat them. And I think it's a it's a very, very important skill that all of us um, should have. And we should all be walking around with this thing, um, the spray that you just spray into somebody's nose and you can save their lives. And there's no side effects. Yeah. Um, I've, but again, I, yeah. you know, it all gets down to preparing and you'll be less anxious if you know you've got these skills. Oh, yeah. If you know you have the skills, you know you have the supplies, because, uh, again, I've gone through the last 14 years, and little by little, I backed out of that fear. I wasn't as afraid because we were a little more prepared and a little more prepared, and now we're, I think we're really well prepared. And there's there are no guarantees, granted, but, you know, we're better off the where we, where we are now than maybe we were, you know, two years ago. And, and I'm happy about that because, <clears throat> you know, we can we can... I don't know how we're going to make it work if we had to uh, if we had to bug out. We've got six chickens and we've got five cats and we've got a dog and then there's the two of us. Uh, but you know what? I'm not going to worry about the little things right now. That'll take care of itself. We'll figure it out. Uh, maybe we'll start to put together the little kits for these for the animals in terms of uh, you know uh, being able to 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 move them with us. Uh, away from uh, getting everybody out of harm's way and stuff is just stuff you know i mean i'd hate to lose it but hey at least we're alive and our critters are alive and that's that's the most important thing in that regard um this is this is uh uh, i'm curious how is the the book in particular so that so when people pick this up uh, it's not something that you read from cover to cover it's not a novel uh, obviously you want to start at the beginning, but you have it broken down into segments. Talk to us a little bit about the various categories. Right. Well, first of all, I also want to add that you can get it on Amazon.com. Sure. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you don't have to just go to my website and that's where most people order it. Um, it, there actually is an audiobook version, and oh, I, I don't do the narration. An actress with a very, very sultry voice does the narration. Oh. And people have, they will listen to it. I mean, this, the, the book has storytelling in it. It has these really bizarre things that happen to me and strange incidents and anecdotes. So quite a few people I know have actually read it cover to cover. But lately, the sections that have really resonated for people are the emotional resilience in a crisis. How do you power through? And I give very specific 
guide points, um, guidelines as to how you can try to build up your psychological strength during a crisis like this. The other thing that people really respond to at the moment um, due to all the demonstrations lately is my section on staying safe at a protest. That one has resonated very, very deeply. And my other one is um, how to equip a shelter. Now I'm more specific, I, I, I call it bunker hygiene and bunker furnishings and whatnot, but people have really enjoyed that section. It's also kind of wacky. So those are the three that have really resonated as well as the natural disasters. So actually that's four, but those are the ones that I find people are reading the most lately. But, um, you know, I, I'm surprised at how so many people do read it cover to cover because of the storytelling in it. If you've just joined us, my guest is Judith Matloff. She is the author of this uh, wonderful book that you can get a copy of. And I love the fact that it's in Audible as well uh, because you can listen to it while you're creating your little go kit or, or box or whatever the case might be. How to Drag a Body and Other Safety Tips You Hope to Never Need. Survival Tricks for Hackers for Hacking Hurricanes. And hazards life may throw at you. And it is available, as she said, on Amazon as well as through her website. It's also available through uh, Barnes & Noble. Uh, there's one called IndieBound Books A Million as well as Apple. And um, we encourage you to get a copy. Go to her website, which is, of course, as we've mentioned many times, uh, Judith matloff.com j-u-d-i-t-h-m-a-t-l-o-f-f.com and uh, please go there we will be linked to your website so that people can go straight there and uh, they can get more information more information about you maybe connect with you and and uh, um, maybe they've got some safety tips you hadn't thought of uh, it's entirely possible that uh, maybe they found another way of more efficiently doing this or that or the other thing um, you know, and I always find there's one thing that you said earlier. I just want to throw this out there um, that, uh, you know, you listen to the th like, for example, when we have wildfires, they do say. Listen to the authorities. But they also say, if you don't feel safe, get out. That Definitely. is part of going within and listening yeah, I think we really need to trust our instincts. I mean, we are part of the universe. <laughs> and, um, you know, one thing that I tell, you know, hearkening back to what you were saying about women and harassment and assault, generally, if a woman, if something is going to happen to a woman, she gets an uh-oh feeling. It's like, uh-oh, something doesn't feel right about this. And I always tell women, don't go into the in elevator with somebody if you're getting that uh-oh feeling. And I, I, you know, I agree with you so much. We really need to listen to our instincts. If our instincts are telling us, uh-oh, things just aren't right, listen to that. I'm Richard Dugan, and you've been listening to Tell Me Your Story. We are talking with Judith Metloff, uh, the author, and uh, we want to, uh, first of all, invite you, should you uh, ever find your way out here in Santa Barbara, once they let us move around, you know, a little more. I feel like we're, <clears throat> we're kind of in a zoo and the cages have been sort of closed and locked, you know, and we're okay. We're getting the food, you know, they're, they're tossing it over the fence to us. Uh, but eventually, you know, they're going to open up the cage and they're going to let us run free in the wilderness and go crazy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, 
if you find yourself out here in Santa Barbara, 3,000 miles from home, uh, we'd love to have you in studio to continue this conversation because uh, you can never talk about this enough. The guys on Community Alert, Mike Williams and Ted Adams, who have the Wildland Residents Association up on the hill where I live, uh, they have been promoting this for decades since a specific fire broke out many years ago before I moved here. Uh, and I'm glad they're doing the radio program. Uh, some would say, well, my God, this is the same thing every week. I say, well, that's the point. We, you know, you can't forget. You cannot let this stuff slide because it's not like you talk about it once and OK, and it's all good now. It's, you know, it's not like going through the first through 12th grades and then that's done. No, it's it's constant. You have to be reminded you need that booster shot. And uh, so I think uh, getting a copy of your book would be a good thing. I do have three final questions for you, but I do thank you so much for joining us here on the program. It's been a delight to be here to chat with you. And I do look forward to meeting you in person in Santa Barbara. Wonderful. I would honor, I want to remind our listeners Tell Me Your Story comes your way Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Monday mornings at 1 a.m. streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. And we launch the podcast broadcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM. And if you would like to find out more about uh, Judith, go to her website, judithmetloff.com. And uh, we encourage you to do that. We will be linked to her website as well. And if you'd like to support the work that we are doing here on Tell Me Your Story, we have PayPal and Patreon accounts for you to do that. We would greatly appreciate any support that you can give us. We say thank you, thank you, thank you to those who have supported us. And thank you, thank you, thank you to those who will support us. And with that, I have three final questions for you. And the first of the three is, who is Judith Metloff? <laughs> Uh, yeah, who is she? Uh, <laughs> I'd like to meet her one day. <laughs> um, I'll put you in contact with my people. We'll call yeah, her people. Yeah. yeah, I heard you have a contact. <laughs> um, she's small, but she's loud. <laughs> <laughs> and um, her philosophy is you've got to find something absurd. You, you, otherwise, you're going to go mad. So whatever's happening, no matter how horrible it is, try to find something absurd in it. It's my coping mechanism, and I highly recommend it. Um, but I'm also I'm very committed to making the world a better place. I know that sounds very corny, but that's why I went into journalism. That's why I do safety training. I, I want to help other people, and I want to make this a safer world on so many different levels. So that I guess that would sum up who I am. I think my teenage son might have other thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I couldn't agree with you more on that. Uh, we're here to do the same thing. Second question is, what is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? Which refers back to what I was just saying, mm -hmm. which is I, my raison d'etre right now is to make sure people have access to fact-based information and which is linked to their safety. So my, my main goal at the moment is to make sure that people can navigate the world in a safer way and for it, whatever that takes. And in a way where they have access to good information so that they can make proper decisions that are very um, logical as opposed to anxiety driven. And finally, what is your life's purpose? I, I feel like I'm being a little bit repetitive. <laughs> Um, my purpose is, again, to, 
try to help people navigate what is a very, very scary world that we live in right now in a very, very dangerous world and to help them cope with it as best they can and get through it as safely as they can. Well, Judith Matloff, I thank you again for joining us all the way from New York uh, and uh, certainly hope that you and your family stay safe. Uh, <clears throat> don't come out of that panic room until you uh, see the whites of their eyes. <laughs> <laughs> And then they may well, be too close. You. <laughs> thank you. It was an absolute pleasure to talk with you. Thank you, Richard. You're welcome. I'm Richard Dugan. This has been Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Until our next broadcast podcast, love to love.